Um, how many worshipped you from their heart? Many of them laid down palm branches and cried out, celebrating, <laughs> worshipping the fact that their king is finally here. Um, and how quickly their hearts changed. So God, may we today see the truth with our eyes. And may you be our eyes. And may the light fill and cast out all the darkness. And that we change our heart. And we'd run to you. Jesus, I just ask that you'd minister today to the people in this room. Holy Spirit, remind them. Woo them into the greatest news. The gospel you have come to save us. Do what only you can do. It's in your power and your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. So, we're at Luke 11, if you could turn there. Um, Today is what we celebrate as Palm Sunday, otherwise known as the, <laughs> the International Day of a Changed Heart. <laughs> um, there's these moments where in our lives we, it's easy to see other people and how they had a change of heart, maybe for the worse, uh, without maybe even seeing the, the times in our life where we had a change of heart for the worse. And certainly for Palm Sunday, it's that moment where Jesus was sitting on a, a colt and rode into Zion, rode into Jerusalem as a representation that here comes the Messiah, here comes the King that's come to rescue the world from our sin, from our death, and to bring us eternal life through faith because of grace ultimately because of what Jesus was about to do on the cross. And people recognized that, putting their coats down and, and even cutting off palm branches and, and like putting those down so that, that he could come in. Talk about like rolling out the red carpet. That was essentially what they were trying to do. Crying out, he's here, he's here. The Messiah is here. And then five days later, yelling out, crucify him. Um, it's easy as we begin this holy week, so to speak, like we celebrate a lot of things this week. We reflect on a lot of things. We, we, this Friday, you are not going to want to miss. You're, you're going to want to be here for our Good Friday service. But even past that, it's, it's easy to remember Friday from Palm Sunday. It's easy to think like, man, these people had an absolute change of heart from Sunday to Friday, but it's like we can't forget what happens the next Sunday, Sunday, seven days later, and how that resurrection, that sign, that miraculous act, the most miraculous thing that has happened in the history of mankind, in that moment, projects us to really celebrate, to really bring us to a place where we, where they, where your neighbor, where everyone can have the ultimate change of heart. So we're in Luke chapter 11. We're barreling through. In the last few weeks, we focused on Jesus and his prayer and his uh, and, uh, outline, I guess you could say, of how to pray. 
leaving the end off with uh, um, defining what evil is, rather than saying the phrase, but deliver us from evil. He's defining what evil might be, what evil actually is. And here, like he even continues, with like two weeks later, talking about what evil is. We're in verse 29 uh, through verse 36 today. That's the section we're in, the sign of Jonah and the light that is in you. But what I want to do as, uh, as we start is um, start actually at the end uh, and work our way back. I want to start at verse 34. So Luke chapter 11, verse 34. If you don't have a Bible, you can get it on the app. Um, or if you want a, a hard copy, there should be some in the pews. If not, if you raise your hand, there's guys in the back. Be ready to hand you one. Luke 11, verse 34. It says that your eye is a lamp. Your eye is the lamp of your body. Eye is the lamp of the body. We read this, and we read this section of Scripture, and we immediately start thinking about how our eyes are supposed to be the light, like, outward. Or we even say, like, Things like, okay, your, your eye is like the window to your soul. Like, or you can see it like, in, like if you have pets or, or, or friends or whatever, like you can say the phrase, like, I saw it in his eye, man. He was about to dot, dot, dot. Like you can see people's actions or, or intentions or whatever, or an animal's uh, intentions based on sometimes their eyes. But what's happening here is he's directing the importance of the eye, not outwardly, but the importance of the eye inwardly. And how that eye... Our eyes are to be the light that shines through every part of who we are. And so right here, let's read this through. It says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no dark, no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when the lamp with its rays gives light. So just a little, like, Captain Obvious, uh, like, lesson here. Like, we know what light does. We know that, like, light is supposed to be put in a place where it can expose and cast out all the darkness. Like, we, we understand that. We get this. And, like, immediately when we, we read this stuff, we think that we're the light. We think that we are, this is our shining moment to, like, be the light to the world and a city on a hill. And, yes, there is a place for that. And there is a reality to that that Jesus speaks of. But this is not the place that, that he's talking about. It's not our moment that we are the light to shine, the shining moment to the rest of the world. It's bringing the light to a different object, to a different place, to a different perspective. Now, we put a lot of emphasis in our culture and our day on the heart, as we should. The Bible puts a lot of perspective on that. Like, like we say things like, man, I just felt lead in my heart. Or, or we may say things like, man, I just want to, I want to, <laughs> Darren, you're already laughing, Darren. I want to guard your heart, Darren. <laughs> we say things like this, like literally, like what a heart, like the seed of our emotions, our, our feelings, how we're feeling, or, or maybe in all the greatest ways, like how we're inspired in our heart to do something. My desire today is to not take away from that or like to change your, our, 
jargon or, or our language in that, nor am I trying to belittle the importance of the heart. But I'm gonna, I want to try to do what Jesus was trying to do in that day in explaining that the eye trumps the heart. Our vision trumps what we feel. Our focus trumps where we're at. And this is how I want to illustrate it. Um, Tim, I think you're out there. I know this may take a few moments to do. If somebody could help Tim, that'd be great. Um, oh, he already got that. Sweet. Everybody is going to get a piece of paper. Now, what I want you to do with this piece of paper is essentially what is on the screen or what is about to be on the screen up there. Um, I want on one side... Is this thing on? You guys up there? On one side of the piece of paper, it should be an eye. On the other side of the piece of paper, it should be a heart. Now, I drew, the, I drew this this morning. Um, I know I'm amazingly artistic, but don't, don't judge me, all right? And don't look at that. Just do your own thing. But make an eye on the right and a heart on the left. And I'll give you a few moments to do that as I kind of expound, and then we're going to do a nice little exercise together to illustrate how the eye trumps the heart. It's so easy for us to rely in this day and age on what we feel. We all fall prey to this. Like what we choose to eat. Do I want McDonald's? Do I want Wendy's? Do I want Subway? Do I want Panera Bread? Do I want whatever it is? Like we base that sometimes on like how we feel or the, the kind of mood we're in or maybe even deeper things. Like we, we, we even use words like, honey, I love you with all of my heart. Like everything that I am, it represents the heart. But Jesus is challenging us here that the eye is the light to everything. All right. So are you ready? You got your piece of paper. You got the eye and you got the heart. The eye needs to be on the right. The heart needs to be on the far left. They need to be about that far apart. Okay? So I want you to hold it out with your left hand about this far out from your, your face. Now, I don't know if it's easier for you to close your right eye or to hold your hand in front of your eye, whatever's easiest for you. But your right eye needs to be shut. Okay? Now, what I want you to do is listen, listen very closely. As you hold it kind of far out, you're going to, with your right eye closed, your left eye is going to be looking at the eye. Your left eye is looking at the eye. Nothing else. I mean, it's completely focused on the eye. Not like sort of, or it's blurry, like you're focused. Now, when I say go, I want you to slowly, slowly move it towards your face. And I want you to stop. When I say go, wait, 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 wait. Y'all don't cheat. Some of you are like, like, everybody that just started already, y'all were like the A students, I bet. All right? And the people that aren't doing this were like me. You're like, this is stupid. When do we get out of here? Right? So it's cool. I know you're not holding a piece of paper up, but I still like you. You can ask your friend how this goes, all right? So you bring it, ready, go. And I want you to freeze when the, when the heart disappears. Ha, ha, ha. What's up, science? 
Some of you are like jabbing the paper in your eye. If you've gone that far, you need to back it back out. <laughs> okay? Again, if you've not done it, let me give you more time because, again, I was that kid looking at the picture and could not find the sailboat and the optical illusion. So I'll give you another chance. Hold it right out. Your left eye is looking at the eye, nothing else, and you're slowly moving it forward. But you're, remember, your right, right eye is closed, and you're going to stop and freeze when the heart disappears. Now, raise your hand if you experience that. Pretty sweet. Okay, you guys are a lot smarter than I gave you credit for. Awesome. This took me, like, I remember learning this in junior high or whatever. I had nothing to do with, like, anything uh, spiritual or anything. It was just, I remember seeing these two dots and one disappearing. And, but I tried it again, like, this week, and I'm like, dude, I can't do it. Like, what? I, I... So I give you credit for doing that. So there's nothing scientific that I want to explore today with that. I simply want to point out to you that there's something happens there when you're focused on something where the heart is trumped by the eye. Our focus is trumped by what we feel. Our aim pushes everything that we feel aside. The truth is what we see. You know the phrase, I want to see it to believe it. And someday our faith will become sight, and faith won't need to be there anymore. We'll see Jesus face to face. Eternity will be a reality, and faith will be as real as this. But right now, we have to connect the dots to that faith. But in that moment, so many of us are driven by our heart, by our emotions, what I feel. And to the point where we make huge decisions, life-changing decisions because of a change of heart. I heard this week a guy was talking in the context of money and like budgeting. And he was saying like, if you uh, are going to make a big purchase, like more than a few hundred dollars, you should not, you should like get all the information and then park the decision for 24 hours at least. Because I don't know if you've been in that boat, like you've made a big purchase and you're like, yeah, I got this new car, I got this new thing or whatever. And then you're like, a day later, you're like, shoot. Ugh. Like you have this change of heart. Um, our hearts drive us. And in some ways, in some healthy ways, that, that's the way it should be. In fact, the Bible challenges us to guard our heart because out of it flows all the issues of life. So I'm not taking away from that. But I'm simply saying today, before we go any further, what Jesus is challenging us to understand is that the eye, our vision, our focus, trumps everything else. I mean, from every understandable human relationship, you get this. I mean, I'm a highly distracted person at times. Uh, and like, so when you're talking to someone, and like, I'm, sometimes I'm like, I try to be here, but sometimes I'm like, all over the place. I may be still like paying attention, but it communicates to you that I'm like not really in it. Or, or even perhaps like from the area of, a, of a le the level of marriage. Like imagine saying every day, like, honey, you have my heart, you have my heart, but my eyes are somewhere else. You know, and I know, that if you're in that situation as a spouse, you're like, yeah, you, you're saying your heart's here, but your eyes trump everything. Your eyes are what's leading you to consume what you want. Now, now that we've got that established, I want you to understand the connection and the importance of the eye and the heart. Now let's back up to verse 29 and see what Jesus is trying to say in the context of the eye and the heart. 
So Jesus has taught the outline of prayer. He's cast out a demon. He's been challenged by it. He's challenging what's important. He's challenging what's real. He's challenging the reality of eternity. And in this moment, after he challenges us to keep his word, and it's not about us keeping our word with God. The gospel is about us keeping God's word and understanding it and living it, as we learned last week, the philosantes, like not just guarding it, not just protecting it, but breathing it and cultivating it in our lives. And as we understand that, as Jesus taught, it says in verse 20 that the crowds <laughs> were increasing. His message brought the crowd. His message brought people that were like totally in and were jiving with, with, G, with what Jesus was, was saying, but it also drew crowds that were skeptical, that didn't believe and were there to pick a fight. Now, as Jesus taught, he says something pretty, pretty radical. Um, like it caught their attention. He says, this generation is an evil generation. That was a great opening statement as the crowds gathered. They're, 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 they're there for different motives. They're there for different reasons. And he's the first thing he says, um, this generation is evil. But then he goes on to expound and explain why this generation is evil. Let's see what he says. It says that it seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given. So this whole time, even back to where Jesus was performing these miracles, these miraculous, supernatural things, they were still, as we learned last week, they're like, that wasn't enough for them. The Jews, they, they specifically, they wanted to hear more. They wanted to see more. They wanted to see the fireworks. They wanted to see the, the supernatural power of this Jesus. They were like waiting for his next trick. And he says, this is evil. And he says, no sign is going to be given except for the sign of Jonah. Talk about random. Here's Jesus teaching. Crowds have gathered, and he starts talking about Jonah. Why? Why? He talks about the sign of Jonah. And everybody knows th this story, at least like the fact that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish in three days and then spit out. And Pinocchio kind of like in our American culture kind of like uh, mixes those things in up in our minds. So let's like get to the, to the nitty-gritty of what this meant in just a moment. But then he goes on to talk about that this sign is Jonah. And for, for, for as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man. So will I, Jesus is saying, to this generation. Verse 31, it says that the queen of the south will rise up at judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. And this, this is instantly a moment sometimes where our mind drifts. And we, we don't understand like what he's going. But he's jumping from Jonah. And he's talking about another instance in 1 Kings chapter 10. Where the, the queen of Sheba, or the queen of the south is what he refers to her here. Comes seeking when Solomon, the great wise Solomon, um, comes to Solomon seeking wisdom. Seeking understanding. And it says that, that in 1 Kings, it says that she came. She was not from Israel. Like, she was a foreigner. And she came into Israel. And she heard wisdom. And it says that she believed and received it and then left. 
And so Jesus is, I know we spent a lot of time on this, the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba, but he's just bringing to light that this woman back there in the Old Testament was a picture of how she sought wisdom and she believed and she received it and she was changed by it. She wasn't even like an Israelite, which was completely significant in that moment. And so he's pointing out to these Jews that somebody outside of the Jew, outside of Israel had come in, someone that looked different, that was different, and that was, she was specifically from what would be modern-day Yemen today. She came and she heard and she was changed by it. Then he jumps back to Jonah. And I want to jump back and park at Jonah for a bit here. Because Jonah brings the true sign of what Jesus is really trying to do. The true sign of Jonah is resurrection. The true sign of Jonah is that after three days of nothing but darkness, three days of nothing but death, three days of nothing but hell, opened the mouth and the first thing he was consumed by was light. And this is Jesus in a metaphorical moment saying that at three days, like he's, this is, again, hasn't happened yet as Jesus is speaking, but he's talking about three days of death, three days of hell, three days of darkness, but after three days, amen, Jesus says, Easter is coming. He didn't say that, but like, that's what happened. As the stone was rolled away, the light came in, and he rose from the dead. Not in that order. He rose from the dead, and then the rock was like, dude, and he came out of the way. Jonah. So who's Jonah? Jonah was a prophet of the Old Testament. And a lot of us, like, we think, okay, he's the guy that swallowed by the fish. But there's so much deeper significance in why, why is Jesus, like, potentially 700 or so years after that, why is Jesus bringing up Jonah? And why is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, like comparing himself to some dude that got swallowed up by a fish? Like, come on, like we get it, like Jesus, Jonah. But what he's doing is he's bringing to light to those Israelites of who the light really is. That it wasn't the light that affected Jesus, it was that Jesus was the light. But Jonah was asked, Jonah, Jonah was a preacher, his job was to hear God's message and God's uh, plan and, 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 and such from God and communicate it with God's people. And as a preacher, like, he, loved his, he loved his role. He loved his calling. Um, I'm sure there was times where he didn't because God's message isn't always easy to share, um, specifically in this moment. And as he was preaching, uh, God told him, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And I want you to tell them that their city is going to be destroyed. And then they need to stop worshiping their false idols. And they need to stop sinning. And they need to repent. And they need to turn to God. Pretty easy task, right? Like, it may even sound easy because that was his role. That was his job as a prophet, was to communicate God's message. But the issue here was not what God had asked him to do. It was who he asked him to go tell. Do you hear that? This is significant in our day, in our moment right now in history, in our moment right now in our lives, in the relationships we have, the city that we live in, and the nation that we thank you, God, that we live in. We're in a spot where this is so relevant. I want you to see just the simple comparisons. So, so you know, you know kind of how the story goes, why the fish did all he did. Like, um, 
Jonah was supposed to go up to Nineveh. And, like, that would have been a little bit north, but essentially it would have been east. He didn't. He, he went to Joppa, got on a ship, and he went to Tarshish. Now, Tarshish sounds like a really cool place, um, but in his modern-day Spain. But what he did was essentially the opposite of what God had asked him to do. It's, it's like this. Like, and maybe you've been there. I know I've been there. Like, you're, all right, God, you want me to what? Okay, that sounds great. You want me to go that? Okay, cool. And like, you're, you're headed this way all of a sudden. You do the opposite of what he asks you to do. And we do this all the time. But it's easy to point out a guy like Jonah and, and to call him out for it. And to see what kind of a screw up is that guy. But it's no different than you and I when he asks us to do stuff, and he wants to use us. And he wants to, to, like, through his power, through our lives, that light shining through to make an impact on the people that we know and the people we don't know and the people that, that are different than us. Why did he run from Nineveh? What was in his heart? What was wrong with Nineveh? Nineveh was, is modern-day Iraq. Jonah didn't go because they were of different color skin. They were different background. They seemingly worshipped false idols and different gods. They, they were, in his eyes, wretched and lost and not worth saving. Isn't it, isn't it disgustingly ironic that the very way that we call out other people's wretchedness and sin by us sinning at the same time. <laughs> How silly is that? Like, like we'll, we'll call out somebody's sin or wretchedness or how horrible or how they don't deserve God's grace all while gossiping and communicating and sinning and yet stiff-arming God at the same time. See, see God is not pro-you. He's pro-him. He is holy. And all sin separates us from God. And God knows that. And God's heart was in that. And God loved Nineveh. And God wanted Nineveh to repent. And not so that he can say, I am a great God and I saved the city, but that he could say, I'm a good God and a merciful God and I saved those people in the city. I love Jamestown. <laughs> do you know who loves Jamestown? Way more than I do. God. And here's the beautiful part. As much as I love Jamestown, as much as I love the city and the, the quirky and the unique, like, I'm not even going to get into that. Um, as much as I love it, as much as God loves it, it's not the city that he loves as much as he loves the people of the city. You and me and everybody that makes up that city, specifically Nineveh, and, and, and specifically about 120,000 people, which is about four times the size of Jamestown. I'm not trying to make that connection just as much as you can understand the size of it. And God talking about the people in it and the children in it and even the animals in it. And then addressing that with Jonah and addressing the fact that, like, this is, like, who he wants to save. And this is God looking down at us and seeing this person that's sinned and this person that's sinned. And he wants to redeem us all. That was the heart of what Jesus is getting at here. 
See, the Jews were like, no, you're here to save us. Just us, just the Jews. And Jesus is like, no, the Jews, I love y'all. I want to say, I want to like redeem y'all. We'll start there. We'll start with Zion. That's why I wrote in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. But here, I'm here to really save the world, FYI. The Jew, the Greek, every aspect, every color of skin, every perspective, every uh, uh, person and nationality and, and understanding and upbringing and socioeconomic uh, situation. He's there to save. The door is open because of Jesus. And that's the, the message of Jesus in this moment. But Jonah made the decision because of his perspective to, uh, to not go. And I just feel like the heart at, at times, I was thinking about this, um, I didn't share this in the first service, that I look at whether it's our nation's history or my own wicked heart, I feel like sometimes the, the like when we are decide to be prejudiced for whatever reason against them, um, we think it's because they're different. Um, but really, they the thing that we actually have in common is that we're sinners. And when we understand that we're sinners, we're saved by grace. We're saved by the God who wants to ultimately bring us back to Him. And this is a beautiful, beautiful picture of that. And so Jonah got on the boat, and as he got on the boat, and he began to, again, do the opposite of what God had asked, a storm came. And it said the storm raged so hard that it felt like that the, the, the boat, was, the ship was going to be broke into pieces. And I'm summarizing this for, for the sake of time, but, but as they threw all the luggage off, and as they were trying to, like, not sink, not break this ship apart, um, they realized, the men in the boat, they realized, like, there's like, the sovereign God overall, like, this boat is cursed, and it's going down. And, like, who, who is it that God is after? Who needs to do some business with God? Because we're all going to die. And Jonah had this moment of, like, I mean, after a reluctant process, he had this moment of, like, humility in the midst of his brokenness, in the midst of his disobedience. He had this humility to say, it's me. Just, I'm... I'm like literally far from what God's asked me to do. Just throw me in the sea. Have you ever been in that spot? Like maybe you feel so far from where you need to be. God's asked you to, and you're over here, and you think hope is lost, and you see that your sin and the darkness that you're in is affecting everyone around you. You're just like, just throw me in the stinking sea. That's where Jonah was at. And so they threw him in the sea. And the moment he hit the water, the storm ceased. And it says that a fish came and swallowed Jonah up. And we know this part. For three days, Jonah was in the belly, sulking in his sin and his disobedience. He cried out to God. And somehow... God heard him, and God had mercy. And, and here, I want to stop for a second and just, what happened to those guys in the boat? I mean, like, Jonah hit the water, and they had, like, zero compassion. Like, see, dude, and, like, he's floating away, and then they maybe saw the fish come get I don't know, but, like, the storm stopped. Were they good to go? Like, all right, what's for dinner? Did they, they move on? No. It says that they 
feared Jonah's God so greatly that they made sacrifice and they made promise and covenant with God that they would follow this one true God, the God of Jonah. So make no mistake about it that God uses us in spite of us. God uses you in your life despite your mishaps, your disobedience. Those people on the boat had a change of heart. And it led to one singular focus. So me, you may even wrote off somebody that's in the midst of like disobedience, like running from God, they're running from, like nothing in their life looks like it's obedient. Like literally, like God's over here, God's asking this, and they're like running the opposite direction. Don't, that's, that's God's job, not our job. Our job is to love, our job is to open the door, and our job is to communicate and live out the gospel to them in their life, and we have no idea how God is going to use, I'm not justifying the sin, I'm not justifying the, the disobedience, I'm just saying that God is a good and a merciful God, and he will use our lives in spite of us. The best thing we can do is to just get out of the way and let God do his work, starting with us, because then we get the joy from it, we get the communion, we get the, the, the relationship and the intimacy from it, but ultimately God's going to do his job, he's going to do his work, he's going to do his plan. And as he cried out to the Lord, Jonah had a change of heart. And the story goes that he was, came out of the fish, that he went to Nineveh. He went to the, he's like, his heart wasn't just, God, save me. Let me be comfortable. Let me be safe again. His heart was true. His heart was humble. That God, I have sinned against you. Let me do what you've asked me to do. Let's just like point out the idea that it's never too late to obey. It's never too late to follow through with what God has asked you to do. If he's asked you to do it, he's not even just going to give you the strength that you need to do it, but he's going to give you the time. If you're alive, you're breathing, if you're not dead, then you're not done with what God has asked you to do. Follow through. Be faithful to the call, the thing that he's called you to do, from the simplicity of relationship and love and kindness to the specific thing that he's called you to do, to leading your family, to making amends. So Jonah goes to Nineveh and uh, (laughs) reluctant, repentant, but he's in Nineveh. And he proclaims that this great God, that this sovereign God has come, is going to crush this city. But he wants to save you. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to be redeemed. He wants you to repent from these idols that you're worshiping. And he wants you to follow the one true God. And in his power, he wants to, yes, he's going to crush this. But in the crushing, he's going to save you. And here's the like the craziest part, is that despite Jonah's shortcomings, despite Jonah's like track record, despite his like everything, God uses him in the city of Nineveh is saved. No, 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 not just saved, like people, the people of Nineveh saved. Even to the leaders, to the leader of Nineveh, says that he ripped his clothes and he, he sackcloth and ashes, like showing his repentant heart. And then he encouraged and made, made it happen that all of Nineveh should worship the one true God, the God of Jonah. 
this is crazy. And so you'd think in this moment, okay, like, all right, Jesus, that's what you're saying. You're saying that, like, we should just be happy about, like, God using us and, like, we communicate the truth and the grace and the gospel and we love our neighbor and we should, like, ride off into the sunset and just be happy and joy-filled because of what, how God used us. Well, for Jonah, that's like, if you've read Jonah, you know the end of the story. It doesn't really end that way, him sailing off into the sunset. His response to God, re, re, like, sending complete revival to Nineveh was... the. Depression. Courage. Gone. He's upset that the whole city was saved. Are you serious? Like even his heart, his prejudiced heart, his heart of like those people don't deserve it, came through even the fact that he was used as a tool to redeem them by him proclaiming day after day that they can be saved. And then he's upset when that actually happens and it brought him so low. And listen here, like, the depth that it brought him was to say, essentially again, throw me into the sea. You see, our heart has to line up with our eye. Our heart has to line up with our eye. Well, what is our eye? Is it our vision? No. Let's read what our eye is. Look at verse 33. No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, on a stand, on a stand, so that others can see. Jesus is saying, in this moment, to these people, that he is the light, that he is the lamp, and that literally he's just about ready to be crucified and put up on a stand so the world and so the others can see him, the light, up on a stand. He's metaphorically talking about himself. And so like when we go into this next section that we started at, that our eye is the lamp, it's not our eye, he is the eye. He is the lamp that shines in us and consumes every part of us and fills our whole body so that there's no darkness at all and that it will be wholly bright and as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Now, we know, like this is not like, oh, wow, thank you, Pastor Corey. Like, I appreciate you pointing out that Jesus is light. It's time to go home now. Like, I know that that's like not like new news to us. But we have to see the reality of this, that we are not the light. Like good encouraging words and a good hug and, and, and all these things that the world offers, like they, those are like maybe good things and positive things in our life, but it's not the light of Jesus. Nothing changes. No, nothing fills us like Jesus. Nothing consumes us like Jesus. Nothing goes into every room of our heart, even the dark parts, the parts that in our heart where we're like, just throw me in the sea. Those parts in our heart, only Jesus can light that up. Only Jesus can bring light to that. Only he is greater than that. And he's saying right here, 
before that, he's saying, the queen of, of Sheba, the queen of the south, someone is here that's greater than Jesus. He's saying Jonah and all that he did and all that he resurrected in Nineveh, someone greater than Jonah is here. And that is the heart of the Old Testament. That is the heart of the New Testament. That is the picture of every story that's in all of the Bible. Every person that he brings up was, yeah, like Adam can teach us a bunch of stuff and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and like and Ruth and Boaz and David and Solomon and all the prophets and everybody leading up to Jesus like there's amazing like wisdom God breathed and perfect like things that we can take from it but the re do you know why it was in there is it was the ultimate sign of Jesus like Adam he was the first one to say like hey all by one man sin entered the world aka Adam and by one man everyone's died but God's gonna send another person a redeemer who's going to be that one man again, the God-man, to redeem us all, to bring it back how it's supposed to be in the Garden of Eden. And it go, carries on from Abraham to Isaac. Isaac, Jesus was the better Isaac, saying that he was the one that would ultimately lay on the sacrifice. And then even though Isaac was spared by the lamb that was eventually sacrificed, Jesus was the better Isaac, that he was the ultimate lamb that took away the sins of the world. And every single, Noah, he was the, the perfect example of Noah, preparing a place for us to be, to be away from the, the condemnation that what can bring death, ultimate death, eternal death, sin. And we go on and on and on to David. I've said this before, like David and Goliath. We think that we're David fighting Goliath, like we're the hero. No, no, no. We were the Israelites, scared to death, completely in bondage, excuse me, and consumed by sin, and yet Jesus jumps in. He's the better David, and he killed Goliath. He killed sin. He killed death. He is the better David. And every single person, he is the better Jonah. And this is Jesus. He didn't say all these examples in this part, but he says this queen that came and wanted wisdom, and this guy that came to proclaim that God has come to destroy, but he wants to save through Jonah. Jesus is saying someone is better, someone is greater, and he's here, and he's there in this moment, and he's here right now, and his name is Jesus. And he wants to redeem you. And this is the lamp that we put high. We, we all know that this represents, like even though like Jesus, essentially isn't up there because he's risen, but we know, we look at this and we say, you know what? This gives me hope. This shines light to every dark place of my heart. This shines light to the parts and the rooms in my heart and my life that says, just throw me in the sea. Jesus is the only one that can do that. But once he does that, <laughs> he wants to shine that through you. He shine in you, filling you, and shine through you so that you can go to the Nineveh, so that you can go to people that are different, you can go to people that, that like you, maybe in your, the darkest parts of your heart, say those people don't deserve it. Those, what have those people done to ever deserve God's grace? The better question is, what have you done to deserve God's grace? That grace comes by faith. The same faith that you have, they can have. The same faith that they can have in relationship with Jesus, you can have and they can have. And it's this body of Christ, this beautiful picture of what Jesus is bringing together as the light does this make sense? Are you with me today? Do you see why it's important that the heart lines up more clearly and is trumped by the eye? Jesus is challenging us and providing for us 
his light to be our eye. That that gospel, that his message, that his forgiveness, that his mercy would shine in every part of us. And just by nature, it would cast out all darkness. Jesus is king, ruling over every heart. We talked last week, and we used the analogy of this room of like how every part of our life rooms in our heart that we guard, we protect. We don't want anybody in. We don't want that room cleaned out. I know, I know God, you can clean it, but like, and I challenge you to offer the keys to God to, to open the room, even though he could. He didn't need your keys or permission, but he's desiring that. He's desiring the intimacy, intimacy to say, God, just struggling with this thing. Right? There's this relationship. There's this situation. This thing that was done to me or this thing I did to them, this thing that was said or like these choices that I've made, like these parts. Man, you got to hear me when I say, oh, how quickly our hearts can change. But oh, how quickly our hearts can change. Did you get that? See, the heart, it's like, thank you, Jesus, that it changes quick. You today, in this moment, you, you came in and your heart was like you're headed to Tarshish, so to speak. Your life has been nothing but running to Tarshish. It's not about you convincing the captain of the boat to turn it around and to get back and to start doing it right. That's a response of worship. It starts in the heart. It starts with that decision. But it's ultimately sustained by your eyes. It's ultimately sustained by your aim and your focus. That is Jesus not ourselves, because we get it wrong. See, we can have the right heart and still do the wrong thing. But we can also do the, right, do the wrong thing and have the right heart. Do you see how messed up that is? But we all fall in that same boat. Well, I got the right heart, I got the right intention, but it wasn't the right thing. But many of you maybe even are here today and it's like the right thing to be here, but maybe your heart's not here. And that's where I'm challenging you today, right now, to change your heart. He's waiting. He's desiring greatly to receive you. To run from the things that drive out God's amazing power in your life. I'm going to ask these guys to come up early. And I just feel like I want to give you the space to change your heart. Like it's really fun to talk about God and read his word. And it's really fun to sing. It's really fun to be here. It's really fun to see you. Um, but if we're not doing business with God... Why are we here? And that business is, is worship. That business is fellowship. That business is an overflow of your heart with God that can only be brought together and directed through your eyes. Let him be your eye. Let him shine out in here before it shines out there. Let him fill you. Those people from Sunday to Friday had a change of heart 
but I'm excited that after Friday, some of those people had a change of heart, even for the good. And even the disciples, like from the Sunday, they were like, yes, finally, Jesus, they're seeing him for, for being king. They're seeing him for being Lord. And just a few days later, you know, one betrayed him and one like the closest one to him, Peter denied him. He had a change of heart and they ran the other direction. But here's the cool thing is specifically for Peter, is man, as bad as he messed it up, just like Jonah, and God redeemed him, and Jesus himself goes after Peter. And he gets right to him. And he goes after his heart. He says, do you love me? And he asks him again and again. He's going after the heart. He's not saying, like, Peter, what are you going to do to accomplish the greaterness of my kingdom? No. He starts with his heart. And that's where I want to start, and that's where I want to, like, go right now. It's just, maybe we can just play for a couple of minutes, and you guys just bow your head and close your eyes. And maybe if you're great and like your heart's in the right place and your mind and your eyes are in the right place, that's awesome, good for you. But I think for the rest of us, I think sometimes we just need to realign with a God who loves us, a God who redeemed us through the cross. And by faith and grace, he's brought us to himself. So what is it in your life? Is it a relationship? Is it a, is it a situation? Is it a decision that you need to realign with the heart of God and ask for his eyes? shine to every part of your life. Of course, we'll be here to pray. But this may be just a moment for you to reflect. Oh, how quickly the heart can change. But thank you, Jesus. How quickly the heart can change. God, may you be our aim and our focus. May you be our eyes that the message of the gospel shines in every part of our being, filling casting out every dark part. The parts of our life that, that we say cast us into the sea, just end it. But then even the parts that they don't think those people, so to speak, deserve your grace, deserve your love, because you change that part of our heart. 